We're continuing on in our series of Colossians since I never would have thought at the beginning of this year that we'd be still in Colossians chapter 1 after uh, 40 some weeks of, uh, or 30 some weeks of uh, Wednesday night services, of course, and this is about our 14th lesson or so, and uh, we're going to start, start speeding up things here a little bit. I'd like to read verses 23 through 29, and as always, if you're able to stand again, I invite you to stand in respect to the reading of God's Word. We'll read every other verse uh, responsively. Allow me to begin in verse 23, read verses 24, 26, and 28 with me, please, in unison, all right? And we'll finish out the chapter here this evening, Lord willing. Colossians 1, 23 through 29, reading responsively. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and hath from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to the working which worketh in me mightily, Paul says. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, in the just minutes that we have, Spirit of God, teach us from that wonderful word this night, we pray, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Before you get started, can, can we can just override the uh, technicians up there? Let's turn the fans on. It seems like it's getting a little bit humid in here, and maybe we should have put the air conditioner on, but we'll, we'll suffer through things here in our, our uh, padded pewed auditorium, of course, here tonight here. And we're picking up on the preeminence of Christ. I, it's a very meaty passage of Scripture. We could spend several messages for sure on these eight verses or so. But for time's sake, I want to look at four secret you have an outline, I trust you took a bulletin here. Four secrets to openly know. The mysteries of God are not to be mysteries to God's people. Four secrets to openly know. Look at verse number 23 as we begin right away here tonight here. Paul says, if you continue in the faith grounded, in the faith, by the way, the definite article, the, and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the, the, the gospel, not a gospel, the gospel, which ye have heard and which ye have preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. I want to notice, you notice the first secret, if you will, something that every Christian should openly know. This passage, again, is a very meaty passage of Scripture for sure, but I want you to fill in the blank with number one. First of all, the, the first secret of the, the gospel the Evangelion, to use the Greek word, or we know it as the Evangelion or the Evangelical or Evangel. Uh, the gospel, the word gospel means two words in our English language. It means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, this gospel that was hid from the ages past. There's five things about this gospel according to verse 23. And we'll break it up in, it's a long verse, we'll break it up in five different parts. I stole this from 
John Phillips, the commentator for the record, this uh, outline on the gospel. So if you don't like it, blame him. It's his outline. <laughs> but uh, notice verse number 23 as we begin. If ye continue, if ye continue in the faith, uh, I want you to consider, first of all, when we consider the gospel, a divine loyalty. The gospel is of God. The gospel is not of man, it's of God. It's divine. I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians 15 just quickly here. And I should have had these verses written out so I don't have to turn in my Bible, but I'm going to turn with you here. 1 Corinthians 15, quickly, please. And we're going to hurry along here in these first few minutes. Verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Again, not a gospel, not one of the, one of the ways to heaven. It's the way to heaven. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, which I preached unto you, which ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I've, I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. There's a head knowledge of salvation, and there's a heart application of salvation. There's people that know how to be saved. They know that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven, but they never have applied it to their heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there's a head knowledge that's not enough for salvation. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You must apply the truth of the word of God and the gospel to your heart, of course. And Christianity is largely an affair of the heart. But verse number three delineates the gospel, this divine gospel. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received. Paul didn't write up this gospel on his own. He received it. How that Christ died for our sins, says who? According to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. We have historical revisionists trying to rewrite history. We have the, the, the Islam for the last 1,300 years stating that Christ did not really die on a cross. Well, he did die on a cross. He died for our sins. But he didn't, that's not the gospel and just the death of Christ. It goes on to say in verse 4, And he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The good news of Jesus Christ is that Christ died for our sins. He was delivered for our offenses. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is the belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a divine loyalty. If you believe that, I believed that when I was an 11-year-old boy, and I didn't understand it all the way, but I, 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 it, it took because I, as an 11-year-old boy, I asked Christ to come into my heart and save me. Go back to... First Colossians chapter 1 now, and understand that the gospel, the Eongelion, according to verse 23, is a divine loyalty. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, 12, I'll tell you what 2 Timothy 1, 12 says in a moment here. I thought I could quote it here, but as soon as I started, I'll be able to quote it. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I, Paul said there, I know whom I believed in. He knew he put his, gospel, his trust in a gospel that came from God. And so it's divine loyalty. Letter B on the worksheet. Notice back to verse 23 of Colossians 1. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled... I want you to notice, secondly, a deepening loyalty, a deepening loyalty. We're grounded. And how do we get grounded in the, the things of God? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? 
the Word of God. We come together for the systematic teaching of the Word of God in the Church of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so we came here to learn tonight a deepening loyalty to the gospel of Christ once delivered for the saints. The gospel is a divine gospel. It's a deepening gospel. Let her see for time's sake. It's a determined gospel. The Bible says, and be not moved. Uh, back in verse number 23. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. I know that I've been saved. I know I received Christ as Savior. I know that my, my faith is found in a resting place, not in device nor creed. I dare not trust the, what's the song say? I can't think of it right now. I can't think of it right now. I'm pulling it off the top of my head. Uh, but uh, the sweetest frame, but I trust in Jesus Christ alone in his salvation. It's a determined gospel. It's determined loyalty. I'm not moved. Then letter D, for time's sake again, it's a dispensational, big word, dispensation, dispensational loyalty. It talks about the hope and preach unto you and every creature, the, pardon me, the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. This hope that was, we're going to find out that was hidden from the ages previous. This hope of the gospel, this dispensational, this time, age uh, oriented gospel that we, we, we now accept in the fact that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then, letter E, there's a doctrinal loyalty. We're rightly dividing the word of God tonight in regards to the gospel. It's divine in its origin. It's deepening in its loyalty. It's grounded in the faith in the word of God. It's determined. We're not, we're not going to be moved from it. It's a dispensational. We have the hope that was the blessed hope. Uh, that was spoken about in times past, but was veiled and hidden from the eyes of many in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And then there's a doctrinal loyalty. Where have I, Paul? He said, this gospel, where have I, Paul, am made a minister? In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed, Paul said, of the gospel of Christ. And in Romans chapter 2, and verse 16, he talks about the gospel being my gospel. How many can, by an amen, say tonight that the gospel of Jesus Christ is also your gospel? Say amen. It's my gospel, and so it's your gospel, and it's been personalized. Salvation is a personal thing. And so we have this first word, this first, first definite article, the, the gospel, and it's, the first, it's a sacred secret. It's a secret that every Christian knows about, and it's not a secret to us, but it's, uh, it's veiled and blinded, and the God of this world has blinded the minds of many that believe not the gospel of Christ. But let's go on to verse 24 tonight. Paul said, who now... Rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. In 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Brother Treber, let me run a side path for a moment. He's suffering some persecution right now. He may have to go to jail. Their church is racking up fines. And if people don't say, hey, they, they made a dumb decision to open up their church. They made a dumb decision to start singing. It's their fault. They let them... Let them uh, die in the vine themselves, let them hang, hang, hang in the rope themselves. That's not the right attitude. Paul was beheaded for the gospel's sake. John the Baptist was beheaded for that matter. Yea, and all that will God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When one suffers in 1 Corinthians 12, all suffer, the Bible says. We need to bear one another's burdens, Colossians tells us. And so Paul said, I suffer for this gospel, but I suffer gladly. 
But he says, I suffer for the afflictions of Christ, verse 24, in my flesh for his body's sake, for Christ for his body's sake, which is the church. Notice the last word of the verse, or of course, the word church. And this is number two, the secret that's open to openly know is the church. In Ephesians, or the ecclesia, the called out assembly. Go back a couple pages in your Bible to before Philippians and then about five pages back in my Bible, or six pages maybe, to Ephesians chapter one. And notice, if you would, please, with me, verses 23 and 24 of Ephesians 1. Or verse 22 and 23, excuse me. And hath put all things under his feet. This is talking about Jesus Christ. And gave to him the head over all things to the, to the church, which is his body. Christ gave himself on a tree for his body, for not his body per se, but for his body, the church. The body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And then in verse chapter 4 of Ephesians, turn one page over probably in your Bible and look at verse number 4. The Bible says there is one body. We want to talk about the church here tonight. The word church in the Bible in the New Testament is found 115 times. There's a fill-in-the-blank word or uh, box there for you that have worksheets tonight, of course. It's 115 times you find the word ecclesia. I always look over here to, the, to my right here, your left here, and look at the exit sign, ek. Ex, of course, out of, and then Lycia, laity, or it's a, it means a called out assembly. This is a called out assembly tonight. I mean, we could count heads here pretty easy here. I think we've got about twenty of us or so in the auditorium here tonight. Here, not many, but I'm glad you're here tonight. And we we, we were called out from the world. We separated ourselves from the world for this hour on midweek recharger service, as we call it. We came to the church house. We know that the building is not the church. We've said that a thousand times at least. But this is where the church meets in many cases. Three things about this church, this ecclesia, this body. First of all, over 90 times in the Bible, of the 115 times, well over 90 times. Some say put it up over low 100. But at least over 90 times indisputably, when you find the word church, it's used in the local sense, the word local. And if you slide over to chapter 1 of Colossians, we're in chapter 1, but verse number 2, the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Now the word church is not used there, but we talk about the church at Philippi, the church is at Galatia, the church is of Asia Minor. Most of the New Testament was written, almost all the epistles, we have the pastoral epistles, we have the prison epistles, but almost all the epistles were written to local New Testament physical bodily literal churches in literal places where they met. The church is ordered to meet together. We're ordered to congregate together. It's like a husband is supposed to separate from, a man is supposed to separate from his mother and father and cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. A husband and wife are meant to be together physically. A family is meant to be together not just virtually but physically as well, literally. You live under the same roof, the same house. That's God's, in God's economy, God's plan. In God's plan, the church is, operates in a local context. And thank God for churches across America that are having midweek prayer services, many on Wednesday night, some on Tuesday, some on Thursday, but Wednesday night seems to be the midweek night of choice. And 90 times, uh, Paul says, he talks about this 
this great gospel that he suffers for, and he talks about this body that he's talking about. He's talking to the church at Colossae. He's talking to local churches. But then letter B in the worksheet, two times, just two times only, the word church is used in the heathen sense. And uh, I should have wrote down Acts 19, verse number 41, but the, 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 the BLM crowd, I'm being a little facetious, but the, the crowd at Ephesus, the mob at, at uh, Ephesus that almost wanted to kill Paul and would have killed Paul had the authorities not stepped in and like uh, one of our, speaking about Paul, Rand Paul was almost killed, would have been killed had he not had police protection on uh, Thursday night. I don't know if you saw that on television and uh, would have been killed uh, by the mob. And Paul and Silas and Barnabas, excuse me, or Luke would have been killed by the mob, by the assembly. If um, the authorities hadn't stepped in, you read it for yourself here. So it's two times the assembly. There's assemblies meeting in Portland, Oregon tonight, here in a few hours. There's assemblies meeting in Chicago. They're not meeting for civil peace. They're meeting for civil strife, of course. But they're, they're called out assembly in their own little right. And they're, they, 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 they are, they're shouting and they're doing more than singing. They're screaming in megaphones. It's a heathen assembly. So sometimes this word church, at least two times, is used in that sense. Then, then letter C, the word church, at least three times. Some would dispute and say that it's up to maybe 10 or 11 times. But we won't, we're just we're supposed to be just a broad overview tonight of the word church here in the minutes that we have. At least three times the word is used in the universal sense. I hate to use the word mystical or myth, uh, 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 mystical sense, but... Uh, Look at Colossians 1.18, for time's sake. And he is the head of the body, the church. Now, of this body, this assembly, this local assembly, I'm the poimain, I'm the pastor, I'm the under-shepherd. Jesus Christ is the archipoimain. At any given time, I'm not trying to be sensational here, at any given time, he can give me my proverbial heart attack. <laughs> He can take me out any time he wants, and sometimes I want him to take me out. <laughs> Pardon me, it would be easier to be taken out sometimes. And, uh, uh, be with, Paul said to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But I'm the under-shepherd, and uh, I'm under orders by the archipoimene, uh, the great shepherd of the faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the shepherd of the, the church. He is the head of the church, the body, uh, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. We've been talking about this for a number of weeks here on Wednesday nights here and in our Colossians studies, the preeminence of Christ. But then in Hebrews 12, 23, let me just read that to you real quickly. Here's to the general assembly of the firstborn, it says. Should have had it ready. Let me just slide there real fast if I can. Hebrews 12, 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven... And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. The, there is a, I was taught, and I understand the, the underst- I have to try to do this quickly. The universal church has never met. The, church is, the universal church is being formed. It's never, one day it's going to meet in heaven. But right now it's being collated. It's being, it's being, we're being added to. When Heather got saved three weeks ago on two weeks, two and a half weeks ago on Sunday Morning, she was added to the the body of Christ. Now she hasn't been added to this local assembly. She needs to be baptized in order to have that happen. 
but she was added to the Church of the Firstborn, the, the Church of Christ, of course, but uh, she, she's not been in an official meeting yet, and we won't, none of us have been in an official meeting until we go to heaven. So the Bible speaks about in the universal, uh, invisible sense, and again, a word I take issue with a little bit, because it, the church is an invisible church. People think they can get out of church because they're part of the invisible church, they don't have to go to the literal church. That's like saying, I get an invisible marriage. No, you don't have an invisible marriage. If you don't have a visible marriage, you don't have a marriage for long, I promise you. And uh, so we had the word church. All right, so these secrets, these, these secrets that are unknown to many that are all around us, the gospel, the church. Then verse 25, let me give you the third word, the third term that every Christian should know. Whereof, Paul said, I am made a minister according to the, here's the fancy big word, the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now, not trying to be trite or silly here, but we have an Old Testament, and now we have a, for the last 1900 years, we have a New Testament, an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. When Paul wrote these words, much of the, uh, hardly any of the New Testament was written at this time. We only had the Old Covenant, the Old, the old Understanding of God. But Paul is going to write about the Gospel of Christ. He's going to unveil a, the Gospel of Christ, which he calls his Gospel. He's going to talk about the church and a called out assembly. We, in the Old Testament, we read about Israel over and over again. But here he talks about, number three, of course, the word is dispensation. It's the word oikonomia, and it comes from two Greek words, oikos, which is the word for house, and nomia, you know, see the root there of nomination or nominate or uh, nomenclature for another word that it's all comes from these derivative of these Greek words, oikonomia, literally means house rules. God sets, set up some new house rules in and uh, I have to be brief, but I'll just give you, for example, some quick for examples. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished. What happened in the temple, remember? The veil was rent, remember? From top to bottom. That, re- that, that veil that only the high priest could go in one time a year. And Jesus, the, the heaven rent that veil, said, time for a new dispensation, new, new set of house rules. Now we, not just the high priest, we can come boldly into his throne of grace in our time of need. The rules changed, and there's been several, we're going to have 10 weeks of lessons on, in our auditorium Baba class in regards to dispensationalism versus covenant theology, why it's important to understand that we, how to rightly divide the word of truth, the word of God, by time periods. So Paul speaks about these, this dispensation. The word economia also means, we see another word that we get with a little bit of stretch, but the word oikonomia is economy, a different economy. Argentina has a different economy than America. South America or South uh, Vietnam has a different economy than China. And on and on we could go, different oikonomas, and, uh, or a different age. And a different set of stewardship, different house stewards. So here's the question tonight, and I, again, I, for the third time I say I'm hurrying. Uh, the question is, what age, quote-unquote age, or economy, or set of house rules, or time period are we currently living in? 
Well, back to Ephesians chapter 3. Turn five pages back in your Bible. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, quickly, please. In verse 2 and 3, I'm not going to wait for you to get there. Try to hurry, though, please. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. He talks to these Ephesians. He said, listen, I don't know if you've heard this before. Have you ever heard of the dispensation of the grace of God? Now, you've heard it. We're here talking about it tonight. But this is a new concept to them. They didn't understand this. Even though they were under this, under this new economy, they didn't understand it. It's very important that we understand that we're under the dispensation of grace. In fact, uh, this, to answer the question, letter A, we're in an age of grace. Now, thank God that we're under, under grace, not under the law. So we're continuing down in all things that the law saith. Uh, Curses is everyone that continues on in everything that the law saith. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Uh, there's, no, there's no life in the law, only judgment, only condemnation. Uh, let me just, just popped in my head here. Uh, it's a mature Wednesday night crowd here, of course, and so we don't have anybody that can't handle this here tonight. But when a man is unified with a woman in holy matrimony, as we call it, and he goes outside the wedding bounds and, and he and, or the wife goes outside the wedding bounds, it's called adultery. By the Old Testament law, it was punishable by, by death, by stoning. That's pretty, pretty, pretty harsh, to say the least. We're under grace. We don't kill, I, uh, I think of a certain political figure right now that uh, been through some wives, and actually most of them have, I guess, here. And by the Old Testament economy, they, they should be judged and but they just go on from one wife to another wife or another, another spouse, whatever the case is, maybe a woman and uh, cheats on a man or says, I'm done with this man, I'm going to go on to the next man. And we see that we're under the age of grace. We're under a different set of house rules. But if you're in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, look at the second definition of this time period known as this different... Oikonomia that Paul spoke about in Colossians 1.25. He said, I'm in Ephesians 4, verse 8. Unto me, Paul said, who am, the less, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all men see what is the fellowship or the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. This uh, second definition of this time period that we are currently living in, it's not only an age, called an age of grace, but it's called an age or a time of the Gentiles. In Luke 21, 24, we, we read about the, until the fullness of the Gentiles come. And then for time's sake, I don't think we're turned there. Let's just go back to Colossians 1. There's a dispensationalist generally accept six major dispensations, the seventh to come, called the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, the millennium age, but dispensationalists normally point to six different time periods, sets of house rules where God changed the rules radically after man's great failure at the end of every time period in age of age. And this age is known as not only the age of grace, but the church age. So this word dispensation, when Paul speaks about it, He's often referring to a new set of house rules, let's review, a different economy, 
a different style of house stewardship. It's an age of grace. We no longer stone people that commit uh, fornication or adultery. We try to work with them in love, try to encourage and correct them and consider ourselves that knowing that we've been tempted ourselves and we've done wrong things ourselves. And so it's an age of grace. It's an age of the Gentiles. I, I think it's a safe assumption tonight that the 23 people or whatever we have in, within sound of my voice tonight in the auditorium here, that we're all Gentiles of ethnicity, of one stripe or another. But I don't think we have any Jewish clientele here tonight. In Bible language, there's only two types of people, really. There's Jews and Gentiles. We all fall under the Gentile category. And this the church of Jesus Christ is largely a Gentile church today. That's not to say that it's not some Jews within that body. But I would like to say this, and it just popped in my head. I'd like to say that the Jews, they had it all together. They, they, they were the peculiar people of chapter of the Old Testament and Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, the Jews get to join us Gentiles. So don't say, well, I wish I could be a Jew. Hey, I'm, I'm better than a Jew. No, it's all right to be a Jew. There's nothing wrong with being a Jew. Jesus Christ was a Jew. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. You've seen that bumper sticker before. But I, I'm a Gentile, and I've been grafted in, and I'm just as much of a child of God as, any, as Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob ever was, and so are you. And so we see this age of Gentiles, this age of grace, or this church age. Then number four, back to our text for the last five minutes or so that we have. Colossians 1.26, even the mystery, notice that all these four sacred secrets start with the definite article, the gospel, the church, or the body, the dispensation. And now we see the mystery, mysterion is the word, it's a transliteration actually. Even now, verse 25, where have I made a minister according to the, or pardon, 26 rather, even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and made, and from generations, but now is made manifest or made known to his saints, to whom God would make known. He's talking to a bunch of Gnostics. They know everything. In fact, this is one of their key words. It's a mystery. Don't have time to go into the uh, different, uh, uh, or to the, uh, oh, I'm drawing a mental blank. Uh, George Bush is one. George Washington was another one. Uh, what, what, what was, what's the name of that group they were on? The, 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 the Masons. Sorry, I just came, just got it out. The Masons have secrets. You get to be a 36-degree Mason, and you're sworn to secrecy. They know things that us common folks don't know, supposedly. Well, these Gnostics in this first century Colossae, in that Asia Minor area, they thought they had one up on these poor, piddly Christians and these other Jews that didn't know anything. They, they, they had supernatural knowledge. They had, missed, they had knowledge of mystery, great hidden mysteries. Well, I got news for you. As a child of God, we have knowledge of mysteries, sacred secrets that, that are so real to us but are so, so foreign to uh, the unsaved. Let me give you, for example, there's the mystery according to First Thessalonians 4, the mystery of the rapture. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. First Corinthians says it that way. Uh, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. God's, I know one day the world laughs at it. CNN would mock us. Would mock me right now. They make fun of me so bad. He's, he's, he's one of those Neanderthals. He's one of those Bible-banging Bible fanatical fundamentalists. 
the right-wing extremist. He believes that someday we're going to be, he's going to be taken out, of the, taken out of this world. Yes, I do. I believe that. I believe it because the word of God says it's a mystery. To, to me, it's not a mystery. It's a fact. It's part of my faith. And so there's the mystery of the, God, the, mystery of the rapture. There's the mystery of the gospel, according to Romans 16, 25, and 26. There's the, full, the mystery of the fullness of the Gentiles, this church age, Romans 11, 25. There's the mystery of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 13. There's the mystery of iniquity that's already worked in 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. There's mystery Babylon, a false church, according to Revelation 17. All these are mysteries to, parables and mysteries not given to reveal secrets, to, but to conceal secrets to the unregenerated. And you try to talk to your unsaved counterpart at work in regards to some of these things, and they're going to just look at you with four eyes. You're crazy. You don't really believe that stuff, do you? I know whom I believe. Yes, I do. But they can't, they, they can't handle the truth because they don't have the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can the Father but by me. So these mysteries means, the word mystery means a truth previously hidden. Those are the fill-in-blank words you that have your worksheet there. A truth previously hidden. Hidden from the ages, but now it's revealed in this age. Here's the question here tonight here in regards to uh, what is this mystery that Paul's talking about in Colossians 1, 26 and 27. First of all, notice what it says. Let's review the verses one more time. Even the mystery which is hid, verse 26, from the, he, he, even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from generations, but it's now made manifest to his saints. The saints at Colossae, which for the most part were, in large part were Gentiles. Some were Jews for sure. But the church in the middle of the book of Acts converted from, Paul went to the Jew first, but then he shook his dust off his feet and went to the Gentiles. We see this mystery, this, the mystery of the Gentile church. The church, and if you study the history of Acts, the church with all the power at the beginning of the, 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 the history lesson, Acts chapter 2, was the church at Jerusalem, an all-Jewish church. But we get to Acts chapter 11, chapter 13, we see the church at Antioch, at Pisidia. And that became the great missionary sending church that sent missionaries around, all around the world. And it's not Israel, it's not Jerusalem, and it's not the, 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 the inhabitants of Jerusalem that's sending gospel missionaries around the world. It's churches like ours in uh, the New Hartford, Connecticut, in Santa Clara, California, so sending missionaries all around the world. We're, 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 the, we're the lights uh, in this dark world here. So we have this, the mystery of the Gentile church. And then, but I want you to see this letter B, and it's our punchline of our message here in the moments that we have here. Paul's going to delineate. He's going to, for the ear that hath ears to hear and a mind that hath a mind to understand, he says, to whom he would, to God would make known what is the riches, the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles? Here's the, here's, the, here's the mystery. Here it is, ready? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want you to notice the mystery of an indwelling Christ. The mystery of all mysteries, that Christ lives in me, that I'm a Christ one that I've been born again, blood-bought, blood-washed, that he indwells me forever. That beats any religious person of any stripe or any ism or any 
any uh, religion at all, anywhere around the world. I have Christ in me. I'm, I have more than religion. I have a relationship. I have more than reformation. I have regeneration. I have more than a new, uh, I haven't turned over a new leaf. I have a new life in Jesus Christ. We have Christ in us. I mean, is there anything greater than that? And all God's people said, amen. I mean, we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Paul goes on, he punctuates this truth, this mystery in verses 28 and 29. And we'll finish with that. Whom we preach, Christ is greater than anything you Gnostics have, he's saying. Christ is the greatest knowledge there is, the greatest person to know. When we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, in Christ is the beginning of all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You can't get better than perfect. You can't get better than that. Whereunto I also labor according to the working which worketh in me mightily. Paul said, I don't take second seat to any of you Gnostics, to any of you religiosity type people here. I've got Christ in me, the, the, the mystery of all mysteries. He actually lives inside me. He's with me forever and ever and ever. And for me to live is Christ. And Paul said, and to die is gain. What a God we serve. So we see these great secrets. The gospel, the angelion, the church, the ecclesia, the dispensation, the economios, and the mystery, the mysterion, that's the mystery of the Gentile church and the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you help us to walk a faithful walk with thee. Lord, in some moments that we have to close out in prayer, Lord, with some prayer requests, I pray that you'd be with our church body tonight. Thank you for the people that are online here tonight. Bless them in their homes, dear God, wherever they're at tonight, as they're watching from some places out of state here tonight. We thank you for that. But pray for those that are within the sound of this voice here and within the proximity of of uh, one another here in this bodily assembly. Pray, Lord, you help us to be a mighty church. We'll thank you for it. Dismiss thy blessing in moments from now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here, we're going to be very brief here tonight here. And uh, uh, Brother Paul, would you?